0: You are listening to the Prepared Warrior Podcast, where law enforcement and military trainers discuss cutting-edge training, tactics, and technology. Here is your host, John Wilson. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of the Prepared Warrior. I'm John Wilson. My guest for this very first episode is Kelly Keith. I like to start every episode with a quote. This one is from Bruce Lee, who said, Absorb what is useful, discard what is not, add what is uniquely your own. Our guest, Kelly Keith, is a master trainer who teaches several instructor-level courses for law enforcement all over the world. He's a police sergeant and director of security for the CFL's Winnipeg Blue Bombers, a former undercover vice and plainclothes detective. I think he can lift over 10,000
1: pounds. Welcome, Kelly Keith. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, John. Uh, Not sure about that. 10,000 pounds, but uh, thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, first off, let's get into uh, what's your um, policing background.
1: Well, in my 31st year of policing, uh, when I was 18 years old, I went down to Toronto and became a police cadet. And unfortunately, I left there and uh, went to a family business side of things. And at uh, 1988, I joined Winnipeg Police and was there for 13 years. And as you stated in the intro... Uh, was a undercover vice officer, which I loved. That was uh, five, six years of, of being there and did some other things in policing there. And then I went to western side of Canada, became a uh, Victoria police officer, and also was seconded then to the Justice Institute of BC where I taught uh, use of force and physical fitness and some um, uh, high-risk traffic stops. And then from there, got uh, went to the total opposite side of Canada, I went to the Atlantic Police Academy, and I was an inspector with the Atlantic Police Academy, teaching uh, use of force, firearms, physical fitness, and officer safety. And I uh, retired from full-time policing from from the Atlantic Police Academy, when, and now do some part-time policing, where I'm a sergeant with St. Anne Police, and as you stated, also do some uh, teaching, and the director of security for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.
0: So how did you um, go from being a police officer and decide to become a teacher um, in use of force and, and other things like that?
1: Well, I was, had a background. I was uh, training ever since I was uh, in my 20s in uh, jiu-jitsu and kickboxing and uh, lots of other um, grappling-related sports, um, so I enjoyed that. And... Um, it just went hand in hand. I was teaching there in the academies and, um, uh, like in the, where I was actually doing the martial arts training. So I, I love teaching from that perspective and then went into it in law enforcement.
0: So if I was going into policing today, what would be a few of the best tips that you could give me to stay safe?
1: First is, uh, don't get hit. So makes you know, sense. We, yep. <laughs> Well, we train a lot in how to hit. So we train a lot in policing, for example, how to strike a target and how to kick a target, how to hit a target with our uh, with our bullet from the firearm, uh, with a baton. But at the same time, um, not getting hit is extremely important. So, you know, by reading the play is really the best way how not to get hit. So, and I'll use just... Flip over into uh, into hockey and use Wayne Gretzky as my example here. So Wayne Gretzky himself wasn't the fastest skater or didn't have the best shot or um, was not wasn't the greatest at any one thing. But what he was the greatest at and what made him the greatest in his time was this fact to read the play. So he would see, you know, where the puck was going to go to or pass the puck where the player should be. Um, so he was always one step ahead of many people. And as, as a police officer going into it, if you can, you know, read that play and see something forming and, and, and see the pre-assault of cues or recognize, you know, the pattern that people are doing things in and get in front of that and not get hit then from that point, we're able to uh, make up the time because generally it's the subject themselves that uh, will pull a weapon on us and then we're in reaction mode. So we need mm-hmm. to make up for that time. And by reading the play, it allows us to do that. That'd be my number one tip.
0: Is that what you would call situational awareness or just knowing knowing the cues? Um, so would you, you know, when you say pulling, um, you don't want to be the one who has the weapon pulled on you, but at the same time, you don't want to, you don't want to pull it too quick. How do you kind of uh, gauge those things?
1: Yeah, it is situational awareness, but it's also understanding what we're looking at and putting it into um, into context. So, in other words, if I see you're starting to get agitated with me right now as we're doing this interview, maybe I would make some space at this point, or you know, put a table between us, so that because I can see you getting agitated. Um, so that would allow me to have more time to react if you decided now to attack me.
0: Are there any other key tips, uh, you would want to discuss on that? Um, uh,
1: not so much in, in, regards to, um, not getting hit, but, uh, you know, I think as trainers as well, we need to train to the bell curve of what people most will attack us with. So for example, 90% of North Americans are right-handed. So if I understand that and if I'm looking at people that are are utilizing their right hand and in posturing themselves to to strike me, then I I understand that um, that's the time that I need to make that space. I need to do that. But really if I said to if I have a group of ten people and I say and I stand and I say I want you just to think about you're a thug and you and you just wanna you wanna beat beat me to a pulp, most people are gonna come up to you and they're going to lead with the right hand, and they're not going to lead with a jab to your stomach. They're not going to lead with a kick. They're going to take the right hand, and they're going to punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. So, as trainers as well, we need to make sure that we're training people for that, um, for the, for getting punched in the face with the right hand, and get people geared to that. And then from that perspective, now we move off into the other techniques that we train. Mm-hmm.
0: So, preparing the essentially for like the haymaker or something like that. Um, I, I guess the the death blow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's maybe not a death blow, but it's uh, it, it's what most people will do. So if we can train train police officers for bell curves um, of what, what's going to come at them, and then mm-hmm. from there go off into the other things, that I think we're mm-hmm. preparing that student in a far better manner.
0: And there's so there are so many options. Uh, someone could hit you with. How do you teach officers what to expect? um, when a subject attacks them, um, you know, just with the elements of, of what's, you know, in the room or what's around them.
1: Yeah. And that's where you had mentioned, uh, situational awareness. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's where hopefully if it, you know, again, when I talk about how not to get hit, that's mm-hmm. how not to get hit is by that situational awareness. So if I'm in an area and of course in Canada, lots of us have hockey sticks in our, in a room or something, and, and I see a subject that's in the area of a of a hockey stick. Instead of me recognizing that just as a straight sports tool, I need to recognize that as that could become uh, a weapon very very quickly. So moving that subject away from that hockey stick um, is extremely important to our safety. And and as you said, situational awareness. You know, there's you know size and strength and everything's really really important. Um, and and. All the other skill sets are important, but if if we don't have that situational awareness, it doesn't do us any good if they're hitting us in the head and now we're in reaction mode.
0: What's the biggest difference uh, between the use of force tactics taught today versus, say, 1980 or 1880 or whenever whenever it was you started? Gee, well, it wasn't 1880,
1: but yeah, <laughs> 1988. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Way back yeah. when. <laughs> yeah, it does, does seem like a long time. I, I actually started with a revolver, and we had typewriters for our reports. Now, if I say typewriter, my kids don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, you know, the, the biggest difference is it's getting more realistic. So I think, you know, uh, the UFC actually dispelled a lot of myths in regards to, you know, what works in a real fight. And, um, you know, I think more and more the progressive... Uh, police training incorporates all four ranges of a fight. So in other words, uh, the posturing distance where somebody's, in a, you know, they can't kick me, they're out maybe 20 feet from me, but they're threatening me. So what is the officer doing at that range to prepare themselves if that person rushes them at that point? So, And, and I'm talking about with every single weapon. I'm talking about with a baton, with a firearm, so depending on the threat that's in front of us. Um, you know, how big are they, how big am I, how many people do they have with themselves, like is there four people with them and, and I'm by myself or is there myself and another partner and there's only one of them. And then we train in the striking range and that's um, where somebody is within distance of me uh, where they could kick me or I could kick them, I could punch them, they could punch me. So, and again, that that's with all weapons that we have. So it's not just now we train with a firearm where... We're in a shooting distance of, you know, twenty feet or ten feet or five feet. Now they've grabbed us and we've got a firearm in our hand. How do we deal with that? Or they've grabbed us and with with our OC spray, where we have a, a distance that's if they're closer than three feet, it's actually a higher level force with OC spray because of the fact that it could uh, it could injure the eye. It doesn't mean we can't spray within there, but we have to have added grounds to be able to spray. So but but getting getting people comfortable in that range is really important and then there's the clinch or close quarters where we've grabbed and we've pulled them in um and and then there's the ground. So getting in 1988 when I first started we we didn't really focus on on those ranges. We focused on just, you know, a striking range or very very little I don't even know if there was ground fighting when I first started. Um, But nowadays, uh, you know, most of the progressive trainers are are incorporating actual real techniques for the world. And
0: you mentioned also that the technology is so much different um, when you started uh, the typewriters to computers now. And uh, I guess how has uh, technology been incorporated um, in the training today's of, of today's police officers?
1: Yeah, and that that's um, you know, any kind of the, the the myths being dispelled with uh the with all the cameras that are on, out there as well now. So, you know, mm-hmm. where we used to say, well, you know, this works or if we're saying, you know, well, we kick him in the shins and he backs off and he does this well, show me now. It's, and that's what, that's what we can do with, with the cameras being out there is we're, we can take a look at what's actually going on as the street as trainers and then train them, prepare for that. We can also get the buy-in from the students by using that technology as well. So if if I show a video where somebody's standing over a fallen officer and punching that person in the face, and I can say, okay, so if you're in this position, well, now they're they're not going to be thinking, well, we're never going to be in this position. I'm showing them that video first, then I'm going to show them how to defend themselves out of that position. So um, it's a, it's a really good on both ways, because I think, you know, we had so many... Train, so much training that was going on that were saying, oh, this is what, you know, you hit here and you do this and this works. And, and any real fighter was knowing it doesn't work like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, uh, you know, fighting in the streets. Now, does someone who has a martial arts um, in their background, uh, like yourself, uh, does it translate uh, them into being better able to handle themselves on the street as a police officer in, in these use of force situations?
1: You know, it really depends on the actual martial art that they're taking. So if they're taking a martial art where somebody is, um, there's rules around it, and you have to, when you hit, you have to monitor how hard you hit, or you're not allowed to strike. So if all I did was, let's say, and I love judo, so I'm not disrespecting any one sport, Mm -hmm. uh, but if that's all I did, and I wasn't able to, you know, incorporate some striking in there, well does that work if somebody's trying to punch you in the face if you're doing a technique and again I want to you know I love I love judo it's a great sport and I've done it myself but um, the training you know, it depends on what training you're taking if it's going to relate to the street because you get people that if they're doing point fighting for example then maybe they know how to kick but they don't know what it's like to be truly punched in the face where somebody can punch you in the face
0: hmm so uh, going to the your courses one of the courses you teach is the principle-based subject control instructor course. How is the principle-based subject control instructor course different from say other courses?
1: Well the principle-based it's it's exactly what it states It's um, everything is based on principles and making it work from that. So for example uh, space equals escape that's a principle meaning that if somebody's if I'm in a ground fight and I've got some and I'm trying to get to my feet and there's space somewhere that I can move my body, then that's where I'm gonna try and escape through is through that space. So the times of us, you know, saying, Well, if they do this, we do that, they do this, we do that again, any real fighter understands that that doesn't work on the street. It you need to have some principles to base around those techniques. So um There's lots of things, even such as uh, position before submission. So, you know, that's a principle. And and what that means is if somebody has a position of advantage on you in in a fight, you should try to change your position first before you try to submit them. Um, Because if you can get the dominant position and then try and submit them, your submission is going to work far greater than if you try to submit them when you're in a position of disadvantage. So... um, the more that we can do things around principles, the more that they'll be able to apply them to the street. And just one more example, because it's it's something that's out there a lot. Is, you know, even with the uh, with with joint locks. You know, if we teach, um, you know, someone how to do a joint lock in a specific situation, versus teach them if if you've got a wrist and it's like this, and you've you've got the hand that's there, and that's how you could get you know, a lock on, if they're looking for those opportunities versus looking for the actual person to apply a certain technique, they're far more likely to come up with a proper solution by just looking for that principle that we're teaching.
0: And I know uh, Setcan, who you often uh, do training for, they pride itself on uh, the stress testing in their courses. How does the principle based uh, course tactics hold up under high stress conditions?
1: Yeah, and that that's absolutely imperative. Like, and you know, I I compare it again. I'll sorry. I'll go back to my hockey background a bit here, but I compare that to like a shinny hockey player. That, um, you know, where you have your skates and there's no hitting, and you have your you know your gloves, your skates, your helmet, and puck and everything, and you go out there and you can have all the moves you want, and then um, you can be you can have the greatest shot and and everything else but then when hitting comes into play all of a sudden that person fades into the background and we and i i can tell you even from my own background we we see that a lot and there's no difference in regards to um to training if we're if we're police trainers and we're going to teach use of force we have to have that stress of getting hit so Um, you know, we, we teach very controlled things in regards to stress, but we would use, so for example, in, um, edged weapon training, we, we train everything first where there's, you know, no stress. You get the students so that they're up to the point where they're competent in their skills. And then at that point we start putting a little more stress and we can do that with utilizing something like a shock knife in, in that training or Mm -hmm. making it a bit of a competition or having it so that. Um, you know, you've got multiple attackers and, and I, I that's where the street really comes into. Cause uh, one thing as a trainer that we want is we want that person when he gets attacked to be going, being there, done that. I felt this stress. I've been in this position. I'm, I'm not like a fish out of water where I don't know what to do. And with principle based where we are going to put them into, um, drills and we're going to have some stress drills and, it really what we want to do is make it so it's as close to the street without having any injuries.
0: Do people have uh, different reactions to stress in training? Like like individual people have different reactions that you've seen from one another?
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a lot of that, it can come from the straight upbringing that they've had. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I was um, brought up with uh, parents that, you know, I haven't, if I hadn't had contact sports or um, if I grew up in a very nice area where, um, you know, there wasn't fights allowed in school and, and so on and so forth, and then I get into policing and now I get attacked, I'm, I'm in an area that I've never been in. So that they're already stress inoculated. Um, if you though, if you've come from a background where you grew up and, and it was a rough neighborhood and and you knew you had to protect yourself in school and you were used to, you know, you've been in a few fights in school or you played. A really rough sport, like uh, if you played rugby or football or hockey, and you were in again that you're there's lots of contact. Well, then when somebody attacks you, it's not you're you have somewhat already stress inoculate innate, elite, stress mm-hmm. inoculated mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, because really it it you can have all the technique you want in the gym, and you can have all the technique on a heavy bag. Mm-hmm. But it's once you get once you start getting struck and you've got pain, it's now what's happening to that student.
0: So it really benefits, um, I guess, people who haven't, you know, the uh, the term street smarts or, or, you know, have learned learned kind of the stress of of uh, of growing up um, with with that kind of stress. So would you say it benefits those people more or just it benefits benefits them both in different ways?
1: Yeah, the way that they, if they handle stress already before they get into policing, they're, they're they're going to be able to walk into policing with a better um, ability to handle the stress of the policing mm-hmm. uh, job itself, and and all the you know the other stress that comes with it, and it comes with a, with a real fight. So, mm-hmm. um, somebody that's never been in it. Um, then it becomes up to the trainers to stress inoculate them when they go through training, and right. and hopefully that's you know what we're all doing in in policing is um, as trainers we need to make sure that again that when they get they get attacked it's been there done that I know what to do in this situation um, and don't and they don't allow that stress to have them freeze um, where we can't have that officer freeze. Now you're in a pretty
0: athletic guy as i alluded to at the beginning and i know you you train every day so how how important would you say physical fitness is to officer safety skills and uh, and what are the most important physical training techniques to you
1: huh, good question mm-hmm. um you know it's funny because for policing um you know some people will feel that with policing, you should be, you know, really uh, like big and um, and and strong. And others, you know, feel that you should be able to, you know, run ten miles and 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 be able to, you know, be able to run it very quickly. Whereas, you know, for me, it's about it's about a combination of both. I think we need to train ourselves to be able to get in that foot chase, but still have enough um, energy to be able to. Um, get that person of equivalent or bigger size than us down to the ground and get that person handcuffed, so if what we do is we focus all on cardio and we don 't focus on strength that 's great we can catch him, but then we can't we can actually get him into that cuffing position or beat him uh, you know to to get him so that we can actually control that person so whereas if i 'm really big and strong and i but I can't run. I can't chase them. Then it, or when I do catch them, all my strength is gone because I, I'm so tired that uh, my strength. I don't have that strength to get them to the ground again to, to handcuff them. So, it, so my point is, it's it's a real good. It's it's really important that we have a combination of st- of strength and cardio. Um, and I can tell you that. When I first started competing in jiu-jitsu, um, I thought strength was all that it was. It was all about strength. And I, I would read a, a bodybuilding book and do bodybuilding routines. And, mm-hmm. and I learned very fast that that wasn't what um, benefited um, control, t- like control tactics or that's not what benefits a real fight. It was um, basically our body that works as a chain and we need to be able to get that weight through the chain and... And when somebody's on top of us, it's it's making your body work together as a unit. So getting full-body exercises in and get away from the beach body and go more into a um, realistic training with weights that's going to assist you in that fight.
0: Right, yeah. You don't want to be chasing someone and then just tip over because you're so top-heavy, right?
1: Correct. Well, you know, I don't have to worry about that, but... <laughs>
0: Uh, and and what do you you specifically like to do uh, for training? What what keeps you going? I, I know you. Uh, Wait, you juggle medicine balls, or
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love medicine ball training. Um, yeah. So what I like to do is I like to uh, combine my cardio work with weights. So for mm-hmm. example, if I'm at a, the stadium, um, I like running stairs. So I'll run stairs and I'll run uh, stairs. Then I'll come down and do some. Uh, whether it be clean and jerks or I take medicine balls and throw them over my, over the, like, backwards and we go down through the field, do that, and then we go back onto the stairs. Um, so it's, I like to go back and forth between cardio and weights during that, uh, during an hour workout, I might do, you know, a 50-50 split and um, it, doing, again, things that I, I believe. So even when it comes to something as simple as a, as a bench press, there's times that I really like I still like to do bench press, but Mm. I like to do a bench press on a physio ball and make my, make my core and I'll start moving around a bit as I'm doing a bench press on the physio ball while I'm pressing some dumbbells. And so trying to make as much as I can realistic, um, I think is, is a benefit that will come to back to me when, if I get into an altercation on the street.
0: You've written articles in the past and delivered presentations on timidity or being timid, can you give us some insight into that area?
1: Yeah. Um, so going through the I mean we've kind of talked about that a bit already mm-hmm. in regards to, you know, a, a student that comes in. So when I trained at uh, trained officers at the Justice Institute of B C and the Atlantic Police Academy, I was noticing more and more students that came into the academies that had never been in an altercation before. So um they they came in and as soon as you know we'd start yelling or coming at them or threatening um the timidity came out and, and so it was a it was a battle for me and uh um, wanting to make sure that if if I'm going to put my signature on somebody's certificate, which I didn't put on all the certificates, so just because you came to the academy that I taught in did not mean you were going to get a signature on it. You had to actually show me that if you're sitting beside somebody that, um, sitting beside a friend of mine in, in the cruiser car, that they're not going to come back to me and say, you know, how could you have passed this person? So this was this was something that I, I spent uh, a lot of time doing and um, so even even things such as um, you know giving lectures on fear, for example, I thought I thought was extremely important. So letting them understand, you know, that that feeling of the butterflies and the feeling of being scared is is okay. And and I can remember making my first drug buy uh, in 1991 when I had never in that that time there wasn't drug courses, and I can remember making it. And at that point, I was training really heavy and, and heavy into the um, into the jujitsu and. Um, but I was walking up to a guy trying to buy drugs, and I was scared, and I was just so pissed off with myself, like that I was that I was scared. And I remember that. And then, um, you know, going back and being able to relate that to students. So first off, you know, getting them understanding that, and then understanding that I we have to inoculate them to that stress. So in other words, we start really slow with them, and we so we we I use boxing gloves, but not to turn them into a boxing boxer but just so that they get understanding the gloves coming at them but they know what's coming and then we're slowly building we're going up a ladder really we're going ring rung by rung up the ladder mm-hmm. and um and building up their confidence and then and then understanding for them how to that you know one size doesn't fit all and and, and that was a huge thing with me as well that you know we would so for training for example if i had a uh, a smaller Uh, person and I so I'm let's say I'm I'm doing ground fighting techniques and I put the I put a 250 pound person in a mount position on a 120 pound officer and then I'm trying to teach a technique well that's ridiculous I mean this person's already so stressed that he now I've got to I got to teach him how to do the technique so he's not in a learning capacity first so getting people uh, properly trained first and then understanding there's two things that we can do for, um, for 98% of the times. We can either engage or disengage. So uh, three things that dictate who wins and who loses most fights. Weapons, numbers, tactics. So if I see, you know, John, that you're 250 pounds and and you can lift 11,000 pounds, then... <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Well, that's all true, yeah. <laughs> so if that's the case, well... <laughs> then I should be thinking about upping my weapon system with you. And so I don't want to... I, so that, that so the timid student isn't thinking, well, I've got to take this person to the ground or I've got to you know, get them on in a prone position. And they're, they're timid, of course, right away because they know that that's not really possible. And that also can be you know, attributed to trainers in the, in the gym and how we teach them. So if I'm doing an arm bar takedown, for example... For me to be able um, if i 'm one hundred and twenty pounds and I've, and i 've got a person that 's two hundred and forty pounds and i and 'm escorting him out by the arms and he resists, is it realistic that i 'm going to be able to do a knee strike and take that guy down to the down to the ground no it isn 't so why would I want that person to do it if he starts resisting, drive off him up your weapon system so Teaching them realistic techniques and teaching them also what is what is stress congruent to that person and, and to me. So when I what what I mean by stress congruent is what do we do on upon somebody that that they lurch at us right away or, or we're you know under stress. Like what what are the what does the body do instinctively? Like so you know we've got these built in reactions to us and then make a technique that's built around that first reaction. So if we can make it as realistic as possible, then it, it gives the student more confidence. And really what that comes down to is, like, is, the, is the confidence. And when somebody's timid, if we can give them the confidence to, to feel I can handle this and I've got all these tools on my belt, I know how to use them, I, knew, I know when to use them, I've been hit before, I get it, it's not the end of the world, um, then at that point we can reduce that timidity.
0: Now, as a court-declared use-of-force expert, what is the most common theme uh, you are finding um, that you're having to educate the courts on?
1: Hmm, another good question. Mm-hmm. Well, um, first off, it is that it, one of them is the stress factors and that, you know, what people do under stress. And so if something's going on, and in, in, on the video now, it's showing that this is going on afterwards, but they didn't, they didn't perceive it at that point in time. Um, they perceived it differently, or they missed they missed obvious cues or they they did something. And so what, what officers do under stress might not be exactly what would be expected for that officer, but so the courts getting them to understand that really what we have to do as as use of force experts is take a look and go, was the force they used at that time? under the stress that they were under reasonable versus could they have done anything different? Cause we, a lot of people want to become armchair quarterbacks in that situation and mm-hmm. say, well, you know, you should have done this or you, you, you shouldn't have hit this hard or you should have done this. And, Sure. There's lots of things. And there's lots of things that, you know, if if I had a camera on me all the time that I would want to go back to and I would want to say, oh, I could have done that better. And all the time I rethink things in my head when I'm in altercations or things and, and I know there's things I could have done better. However, under that stress, was it reasonable? Um that 's probably the number one thing that i that I do find in uh, you know the other thing I just want to mention about what 's going on the the change i've seen from uh, from court work is the officers themselves are relating what they've done back to reality based training a lot of and and that's something that um, i didn't see initially they were relating it to theory or to um, you know what they were taught um but now it's it 's the reality based training that 's that 's taking over a lot of things and which is a good thing because again you can somebody that punches a bag or you know hits a bag with a baton um you know in a gym can be very very different than somebody on the street where they 're actually trying to get punched at the same time they 're hitting somebody so um I I actually think it's a good thing that, uh, you know, they're going back to more of the reality based training versus what's going on in the gym.
0: That is very interesting. And I think uh, a perfect point to end our very first podcast. Thank you so much for being our our first guest on the prepared warrior podcast. And um, you know, Keep, keep on lifting those weights. Maybe you'll make it, uh, <laughs> you know, you'll be as strong as me one day.
1: <laughs> Maybe. 11,000 pounds. This has been the Prepared Warrior Podcast. For more info on our guests or other
0: episodes,
1: check out thepreparedwarrior.com.
0: If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the Prepared Warrior Podcast, email J-O-N at thepreparedwarrior.com.